Well, hello! It has been a while, or at least it feels like as much. Um, what? COVID killed us all? Um, I spent several months working from home, but not really, because, you know, I'm a wet lab bioscientist. I can't really actually do much without, you know, a, a wet lab. Um, I published a paper. I recorded three episodes all in a row, back to back to back, in October, and excluding a, a few editing sessions here and there, I really haven't touched this podcast since. I am genuinely so sorry that it has taken me so long to actually do anything with this, but eh, what can you say? Graduate school is incredibly hard and time-consuming, and also at times demoralizing, which is why I'm a raging alcoholic, which is also the reason why I'm here right now, because I tried to make a cocktail that was called uh, Ruby something, but it really came out very, very blue. So, you know, as always, alcohol is both the cause and the solution to all of the problems in the world. Anyway, I thought I might reward you all for suffering through my incredible imperiodicity by way of giving you a bonus episode. So a while ago, at the height of the third wave, so what, sometime in January or February or so, I was working on my model railroad, and... Also, at the same time, you know, engaging in other leisure time activities, as you will hear about shortly. And I'm a particularly autistic person, usually very logical. I mean, well, that's the very reason why I made this podcast in the format that I do. Um, I analyze things, and I provide them in very succinct puncta of intensely important information. But very, very rarely, I will be absolutely overcome by some sort of emotions that I am clearly not well adept enough to deal with. So, sometimes what I have to do just to get these thoughts out of my head is to, um, well, journal. Write them down. Uh, get them out of my head in order to move on with my life. So, about every three or four months or so, I just write something down. And as it so happened, this time, it happened to be on the subject of model railroading. I genuinely had nothing intended for this essay. Um, I submitted it to Model Railroad Magazine just for the hell of it, not actually expecting them to accept it, and lo and behold, they didn't. Boomers. But I still have this essay on hand, and... I'm currently in the middle of writing the next few episodes. It's going to take a really, really long time for both of them because I've kind of reached the end of my um, uh, script backlog, as I detailed on my Patreon blog. And keep in mind for all of you, the blog is free to view even if you're not a patron. You know, to guilt you into becoming a patron. I think it's more effective that way. So I have this essay on hand, and I have a massive block of time between now and the next episode, so I thought I might treat you all to some bonus content, just out of the goodness of my heart. No, not really, out of the guilt that I harbor inside every day of my life. Anyway, let's move on with the essay. It's pretty self-explanatory, so I don't think I need to give you much background, but, um... I hope you like it. Even though I work full-time as a graduate fellow in molecular and astrobiology, the COVID winter continues to reduce that with which I can entertain myself outside of my home. 
My layout is progressing rapidly, as I'm assuming is the case for all of us, but there is only so much time I can spend on it before either I run into glue drying times, my brain turns to mush, or both. So, to entertain myself, I recently started watching HBO's Westworld. For those whom are unfamiliar, Westworld follows a gently megalomaniacal, futuristic, John Hammond-like entrepreneur creating a no-consequences, western-themed, immersive vacation as a way to tackle hard questions about artificial intelligence and the ethical quandaries that arise from unconscious robots gaining consciousness to realize they are held as a slave class. What sets the show apart is that all levels of the production, from the acting and script writing to the set design and cinematography, are exquisitely tasteful and sophisticated, making you ultimately root for both sides with equal fervor. There are so many levels of the show that relate to model railroading. Not only is the story about creating a world, the very nature of television means that the showrunners created a world to tell the story about creating a world. We, as modelers, do much the same. On a micro level, we try to make accurate, scale representations of specific structures or scenes. The way we make these is confined by our tools, but admittedly, we have perfected injection molding, model carpentry, and 3D printing enough such that we are seldomly limited in our quest to do so. But if we shift ourselves to a higher perspective, the scientific term would be the MIDI level, we string together our buildings and towns, layout design elements, lest I be remiss to call them, to create the impression of the larger railroad they are a part of. Here, we are much more restricted. To be sure, we as a species still have the tools to dramatically expand our basements or reposition the water heater, but many of us lack the gumption, or foolhardiness, to commit such brazen and unnecessary acts in the name of leisure. As such, our attempt to holistically represent a railroad is much more artistic and abstract. We cannot recapitulate every scale route mile, nor would we want to, so we brush broad strokes of towns and wilderness to give the impression of what our railroad was. However, if we zoom out even further, the macro-level view beguiles this very process. A model railroad is never a soulless optimization of a particular space, but rather reflective of our choices for the space's utilization. We've all done this before. When giving a tour of our layouts, we're not impartial docents describing the history of the railroad. We're artists describing our take on it, sharing what we were going for in this scene, how we were gifted that freight car, why we decided to put a town on one wall instead of another. A model railroad is so much more than the sum of its parts. It's a story, because the way in which those parts are summated has just as much meaning. For over a decade, I've been an on-and-off journalist for the hobby. My current and longest-running project is the Beginner's Guide to Model Railroading podcast. Shameless plug. From my first efforts at an ill-conceived YouTube channel, no plug, no plug, it's embarrassing, to being a trained museum docent, to even my professional life, I am continually reminded of the pivotal importance of a good narrative. We all love trains, right? But don't we equally hate it when we go to a railroad museum and find a docent droning on about irrelevant details? Not only does it do a disservice to the hobby's public image, it's personally unenjoyable. The way to engage people is with an enthusiastically delivered tale. Don't just tell me that a locomotive is an SD40-2. 
There's a story in the dash too. It's not just a number. It indicates that the unit was rebuilt. Tell me why. This is how you can make absolutely anything at all interesting. I promise. Shout out to the National Watch and Clock Museum. Building a good model railroad similarly requires narrative. I almost prefer the old-fashioned term for a layout, a pike, because that implies more of the cutesy artistic license imbued in even the most photorealistic layouts. The difference between the inimitable Mr. Soborg and someone with a train set on a wooden board is, to be sure, found in techniques and diligence, but that can be improved in anybody with enough time. I'd argue that the difference is just as much due to a sense of storytelling. The ability to take the raw data of the world and distill it down into something that, though being of a radically different size and scope, possesses the exact same composition. I think this is something that sets apart modeling of any experience level. A below-average tree on a saccharine suburban tract doesn't sell the scene. But any scene could be given a lasting impact if it's arranged with a story in mind. If you look at a vignette and can immediately see that it was a forest that was cut back to make way for a town, the point at which the logging ended for property lines, the stumps of the tree's fallen brethren, and the spot where the shopkeeper hid the broken sign from street's view, then what does it matter your ability to model an individual tree? The whole is more than the sum of the parts, and a deficiency in producing an individual part can always be corrected for with an emphasis on the whole. One recent snowy evening, I finished a particularly impactful episode of Westworld, and calmed down from the revelations with an hour or two of modeling. I had just acquired two lovely and amusing reefers billboarded for my favorite breweries, so naturally, at the end of the pilgrimage to the train dungeon, I brought up the supplies to make some new car cards. This started a discussion with my roommate in which she exhibited perplexity over my bringing paperwork into something meant to be a leisure activity. I think it is haughty of me to pursue such a basal desire of running my trains around however it pleases me. Though it may be enjoyable, it would feel, well, empty. However, if I fill out car cards and act like the railroad is a representation of a world unto itself, then all of the stories I wove into my pike, from its representation of a prototype, to the arrangement of towns and industries, to the in-jokes I write in the waybills, start to interact with each other in a way that could never be orchestrated or comprehensively understood by my mind alone, despite all of the stories being of my own creation. For me to simply run the trains as I enjoy is for me to control the layout. But for me to operate my pike is for the layout to control itself. In the same vein as Westworld, I can think of no better a definition for something to come alive. G4 is a 25-year-old PhD candidate at the Pennsylvania State University, is an active member of their model railroad club, and models the Altoona and Beach Creek of the 1890s in ON30 almost exclusively for its acronymization to A and B C. G4 is also an avid social justice advocate and ruthless dictator of the sovereign and independent nation-state of Natanistan, a country which seceded from the United States under the promise of, quote, building a wall and making America pay for it, unquote, oddly enough the invoices for which remain unpaid.
In their spare time, G4 loves to road trip on their Tracer 900 GT motorcycle, volunteer for science communication and racial equity events, and lead glorious revolutions. G4 would like to remind the listener that, though portions of this essay were inspired by Gödel Escherbach, the book is still an excruciatingly boring read and they in no way recommend it for the self-preservation-minded connoisseur. This is their first non-academic byline.